and gentlemen, thank you again for coming out for our latest recording of our podcast. Our guest this evening is Associate Professor from the University of South Florida, Daniel Ye. Good evening, Daniel. Hey, hi. Uh, thanks for having me here. Thank you very much for coming out. So we usually start our podcast by asking our guest a little bit about their, their background and their research and how they got going in their particular line of work. Sure. Um, so, so at the University of South Florida, um, we work on uh, clean technologies. You know, I'm in the uh, Department of Civil Environment Engineering. We, we work on uh, technologies to, say, purify water, uh, generate renewable energy, uh, and overall just how to make our cities more sustainable. What inspired you to start doing engineering, I guess? I, I think when I was younger, I wanted to be a forest ranger. <laughs> and I'm really not sure how I took that turn, but um, it was sometime when I was attending the University of Michigan that I decided that engineering is the path for me. And fortunately, I had some very good mentors along the way. Mm -hmm. I did my PhD at Georgia Tech, and I had a very good mentor. Uh, his name is Spiros Pavlostatis. Uh, very in intense man, strong requirements for excellence, you know, uh, and that's really rubbed off on me. So there I was looking at using microorganisms to clean up the environment. So from there, I learned some uh, uh, microbiological techniques, uh, how to design and build bioreactors using microorganisms to do work for us. And then uh, later on, I had the good fortune of uh, postdocing at Stanford University, working for another very intense man, uh, Craig Criddle. <laughs> and Craig, Craig is on fire, and he's really passionate about his work. And I think he was the first person who showed me that it's really okay to be uh, passionate, a little bit crazy, and cut loose with your research and, and also with your lectures. So I, I've tried to uh, carry on that uh, tradition. Well, working with Craig, I, I kind of fell in love with uh, wastewater. Somewhat, you know, disgusting, but very fascinating <laughs> topic of wastewater. I have so, to say, that's not something you hear very often. No, no, <laughs> it, it, it's just absolutely fascinating. And then, and the reason we work on that is is because. You know, we, we will never be out of work because it follows people wherever they go. You know, with 7 billion people on the planet, that's a whole lot of wastewater. So the question is, what do you do with that? And here in the U.S., we have what's called wastewater treatment plants uh, that would basically make the dirty water clean and return clean water to the environment. And sometimes we reuse it as, as reclaimed water. But in many parts of the world, 40% um, of the world's population don't have a good way to deal with human waste or wastewater. So as a result, um, a lot of people are sick. This is something that kind of motivates us is basically to come up with better uh, strategies, better technologies to manage our wastewater. And now people have gone to realize that, you know, wastewater really doesn't have to be a problem. It's, it's really a resource. It's, we should be looking at it as a renewable resource that is part of society and it's about managing this resource, you know, managing the, the water, the carbon, the nutrients that come with that. It seems like a extreme recycling to me because you really are trying to pick out absolutely everything useful from this one thing that the rest of us, we just flush it away literally and don't think anything more about it. Yeah, absolutely. So, so let me, let me start with like the, you know, the, the water cycle, right? Where do we get our water from? Well, we get it from somewhere in the environment, like uh, you know, a river, a lake, or stream, or maybe here in Tampa Bay, we get it from desalinated water, for example. It, it, it gets uh, pumped in by a water treatment plant or a desal plant. Uh, a, a significant amount of energy is expended uh, with chemicals added to make that water really, really, really clean. I mean, so clean that you know, there's a list of um, 
200 compounds that you must remove you know, before the water can be uh, made available to the public. So we do a really good job of making that water very, very clean. Mm-hmm. And we transport it to our houses and more energy is involved. And then we use that. And in the case of, let's say, bathroom use, we take that drinking water and then we flush it down the toilet. Okay, so this is really, really clean water that, that has you know, carcinogens removed and we basically flush the toilet with that. And in fact, you know, half of the water that we make available to houses, we actually put it back on the grass. So it's a little bit of an overkill. And then if we follow the path of what actually goes down the toilet, it now carries our, our waste products via the, this very extensive sewer system to the wastewater treatment plants. There are more energy, more chemicals are expended to turn it back into clean water, and then we put it into back into the environment. So if you follow this cycle, you can see that you know there's a lot of energy and chemicals involved in this whole process, right? And so there are opportunities for us to really make this uh, a more sustainable and lower cost process if we can really rethink water and wastewater as a system. Uh, so this is where we're, you know where we're thinking. You know, well, what is in wastewater? Our mantra is sort of you know um, today's food is tomorrow's poop. That's basically what it is. The food that you, your body cannot metabolize is basically passed out as human waste. And as a result of that, um, poop actually has a lot of the same ingredients as the food we eat. So one of the things we can do is really to recycle that back into fertilizer and grow more food with that. But to do that, we really have to do this in a very safe manner because um, there are pathogens, human pathogens or mm-hmm. animal pathogens mixed in. So our struggle is to really re- how to recycle the elements but do this in a very safe way. And, and uh, going back to other parts of the world, you know, people have long recognized that, yeah, you can recycle um, human waste, animal waste to grow food uh, for farms, but often it's done in a way that's very uh, unsafe. So as a result, diseases are transmitted over and over again. Uh, you can have uh, helminths or, or basically um, inter- intestinal parasitic worms that can be, be passed from person to person, and they are highly persistent. So it's a matter of having the right strategy and technology in place to break that cycle. And you know, if you don't manage wastewater properly, what you will do is just contaminate the water supply. Right? So every 15 seconds, a child dies from dirty water. You know, something simple like diarrhea. And that's equivalent to more than 2 million children a year. Right? So we have a lot of work still cut out for us to do mm-hmm. uh, in, in terms of you know, creating better sanitation and better resource management. Um, was this the work that you received the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation grant for? Um, yeah, it, it's related to that. So Bill Gates, him and Melinda Gates, they you know formed the Gates Foundation several years ago. And, and they really set out to look at what are some of the world's problems that are not being solved through conventional means, you know, through conventional governmental interventions, NGOs, where are the gaps, right? So they, they've invested a lot of resources on things like tuberculosis, AIDS, uh, malaria. And, and in the past few years, they've zeroed in on sanitation as a big problem. Uh, you know, Kofi Annan uh, has said that, you know, we cannot solve uh, issues with you know, malaria, HIV, tuberculosis un- until we get the water uh, situation right. So the Gates Foundation looked at our current methods of uh, sanitation and said, well, what's going on? And they kind of decided that, well, you know, we, we do have provisions in place in many parts of the world. Like we have, you know, latrines, for example, that's commonly used, but they often fail. And the reason they fail is uh, a, a latrine is really a fancy form of a hole in the ground. Mm-hmm. 
And while they can work when everything's maintained properly, every often they're they're just not maintained properly. So when they fail, people get sick. Uh, for example, when uh, hard rain comes and things flood, like like it happens in Haiti, you know, um, a few times a year, you you get cholera breakout. So they say, well, what what role can technology play? You know, uh, here we're in the 21st century, right? We, we there's there's got to be better ways we can we can come up with in terms of managing our waste. So they they launched this reinvent the toilet initiative. You know, let's challenge uh, you know the the world to come up with new technologies to basically reinvent the toilet. And, and by the way, talking about the toilet, we take the toilet for granted, right? I mean, this thing you you do your thing, you flush, you leave, you don't think about it again. The flush toilet has saved more lives than any other medical invention. This is a survey, you know, that was I think done in the UK. They surveyed a whole bunch of you know, medical professionals, public health professionals. And they said, you know, the flush toilet has single-handedly saved more lives than any other medical invention. Wow. Uh, because it separates, basically, things that make people sick from where people live. But what are the problems with the flush toilet? Well, first of all, you need water to flush. So if you live in a place that's water stress or you don't have the convenience of having water piped to your house, where are you going to get that water from? Two, you need this very extensive sewer system. And in many places, that's just not possible. They don't have that in place. And three, at the end of this long sewer system, you need a wastewater treatment plant to properly manage that waste. And like I mentioned before, that's very energy, chemical, and money intensive. So if you really want to solve the sanitation problem in many parts of the world, we really have to reinvent the toilet. Their model is, um, let's come up with a way to properly manage the waste, but, but hey, can we turn the waste into an opportunity, a resource? You know, given that there's water, uh, there, there's fertilizers, there's even energy that you can harvest from the waste, right? Because carbon, you can repurpose the carbon to um, to make things like biogas and you can burn that for energy. So, so is this where you got your expression poop power from? Poop power, yeah. <laughs> you know, it, it's, it's a carbon rerouting. We would like to think of it like that. It's it's um, it's it's moving the electrons around in the right way. Um, you know, mo- moving it from uh, organic matter, uh, which has a redox state somewhere around zero, to methane, which has a redox state of minus four, and and basically it's a very you know energetic form of carbon, and then we can burn that. You know, so it's, it's recognizing that this is what nature does very well on its own, and uh, we we really should not fight nature. We should try to enhance nature. So um, yeah, the Gates Foundation had this initiative, and they're funding teams around the world to come up with better ways to um, reinvent sanitation. And we're lucky to be sort of one of the teams that's working with a partner in India doing this. So we actually got to know each other from the TEDx USF event, which was good fun. And one of the other things you mentioned in your presentation there was this ability to use algae to harness sunlight and produce energy as well. Can you tell us a bit more about that? You know, what, what I mentioned in that TEDx talk is that the sun is, is the ultimate form of energy, right? Everything on Earth uh, energetically comes from the sun. And uh, if you look around us, there's plenty of plant biomass, right? Trees, grass, our food, everything um, really came from the sun. So if we want to uh, meet our energy demands, one, one thing we can do is use um, ancient solar power, which is really the fossil fuels. Right, fossil fuels is basically plants and animals that were converted into this fuel form um, millions of years ago. Or we can have renewable biomass um, that we can use to generate biofuel. Again, uh, using the plant's ability to do photosynthesis, capture sunlight, and lock it into bio- biomass. So 
There are different ways we can make biofuel, and one of the most common ways is to use corn. And uh, as you may know, well, 10% of our gasoline is ethanol, mm-hmm. which mainly comes from corn. But that, there are many problems associated with that. Uh, first of all, corn is a food. And so we create this conflict now between um, biofuel, between the energy sector and the food sector. And corn is also not a very efficient uh, crop in terms of its water and fertilizer use. So uh, in terms of sustainability, it's, it's not necessarily the best way to go. It's also very land intensive. So many people are interested in using algae, right? Because uh, with algae, that's the densest form of biofuel you can have per acre. You can, you can generate more energy content with algae biofuel than any other form of um, biomass. So there's a lot of interest uh, from all different sectors uh, on making algae to make biofuel and also other higher value bioproducts. You know, even things like for medicine, pharmaceuticals, nutraceuticals, uh, industrial chemicals, you can make those from algae. But algae, like other plants, also use water and fertilizer and sunlight and carbon dioxide. So wastewater is one of the places where you can get all those for free. So we're, we're sort of you know, connecting the dots, coming back to this, this thing that I can't leave, live without wastewater, right? So our quest is how do you grow algae sustainably using wastewater? And it, it turned out to be not as easy as we thought. Because there are a lot of technical challenges. So that's what we're working on in our lab. You know, ways to grow algae sustainably and cheaply so that it can compete with other forms of fuel using wastewater as a feedstock. So what we kind of imagine, right, uh, is that the wastewater treatment plant of the future will not be called a wastewater treatment plant. It'll be a resource recovery facility. But further, it'll be a biorefinery. And this will be a place uh, where, you know, you have water and nutrients being repurposed uh, to grow things like algae. To, to make biofuel. And we're, we're going to create these closed loops in, in the, the sustainable cities of the future where nothing goes to waste. So do you actually have these set up somewhere on the USF campus? Because presumably a lab is kind of a small space to have something that big. Yeah, we, we go from uh, flask to uh, to reactors to pilot systems and, and hopefully to, um, to full-scale systems to the um, eventually market, uh, sort of going from, you know, Sort of from beaker to boardroom is, is mm. what we would like to do. All right. Uh, and so what we've done so far is we've done a proof of concept with our technologies in the lab. We build uh, small systems. We pilot tested it at the city of Tampa's wastewater treatment plant. Uh, looks promising. So right now we, we are on uh, a National Science Foundation grant called i Innovation Core, And that's basically teaching us scientists how to be entrepreneurs, to speak like entrepreneurs, think like what investors would think like, describe our technology in terms of value propositions, not just technological features, and, and what is the right you know, solution product fit for our system. And ultimately, will this thing make money? Will anybody be interested in paying money for this? Yeah. So have you had any companies biting so far? Or have you not reached you know, out? N- not yet, uh, but you know, we're sort of you know, still early in the process getting going on this. But we've learned a lot through the NSF project and i Okay. Um, I'm going to switch from asking the questions to getting the people around us to ask them. This one is from Michelle, and she'd like to know, do you think that recycling wastewater could or would be more efficient than desalination? Yes, in terms of um, energy input. right? So it would um, cost us less energy to recycle wastewater than to desalinate seawater. Based on current technologies, uh, usually we use reverse osmosis membranes for desalination. However, people are coming up with new ways to desalinate. For example, there are technologies that are based on aquaporin that will fundamentally change how water moves across a membrane surface. So those are still sort of not commercialized yet, but um, you know, people are working on ways to decrease the uh, energy costs. But I would say, uh, yes, right now is still more efficient to 
recycle wastewater than to desalinate. And also, it's the fact that you know you have to make wastewater clean anyway. So at the end of that process, you either dump it back into the ocean and then try to desalinate that. Yeah. You just add a salt to it, right? Mm-hmm. Now you have to take the salt out, or you can keep going. You can keep going and purify that. And Singapore has figured this out. They've looked at a number of you know water technologies because to them, water security equals national security. And they've looked at a number of technologies, and they basically have zeroed in on wastewater recycling, being that it would cost less to do that. Now, wastewater recycling to potable water is absolutely possible technologically. Texas is going to be uh, one of the first places to do that in the U.S., actually uh, taking wastewater all the way to drinking water. Mm-hmm. We have the technology to do that safely. One of the biggest issues is basically the psychology and public perception. Yeah. You know, are you willing to drink something that formerly was in your toilet? And the way I would, you know, basically, you know, ask people to reframe that thinking is, well, there's really nothing new under the sun. There's no new water on the planet. And the same water that we're drinking uh, actually came from what the dinosaurs excreted millions mm-hmm. of years ago. And if you live in New Orleans, the water you're drinking, the Mississippi River, actually went through the stomachs of people in 10 cities. So all water is recycled in nature. Yeah. Right. So we're basically we have the technology to accelerate this natural process. Yeah, I think I saw that on the news recently, and the the looks on people's faces when you told them what you're expecting them to drink was quite priceless. Yeah. So here's a funny one, right? So at the um, Pine of Science event that I recently participated in, I, I tried this little experiment. So I I got on my soapbox, talked about uh, wastewater recycling, how we should reuse sewage and so forth, and I pulled out this cup. And on that, I wrote City of Tampa sewage or something. It, it wasn't, you know. It, and what I did was I put uh, Cocoa Krispies in water. So it looked really chunky and brown and stuff like that. And I just drank it in front of the crowd. <laughs> and I, I wish I had a camera there to capture the expression on people's faces, you know. Some people quickly caught on. I, I, I was playing a prank. But some people had this look of disbelief. But it really speaks to the power of psychology. If you label something sewage, you can't shake that thing. So... What are some of the techniques that you would use to prevent contamination of clean water? So we use a multi-barrier approach or several technologies are, are utilized. Is basically everything under the sun, right? So in a typical wastewater treatment plant, we mimic things that nature does. So we mimic the processes of buoyancy differences, uh, settling, right? Things that are heavier than water will settle out and then we do something else with that. Things that are lighter than water, we float and skim out. And then things that uh, have the densities close to water that you can't separate easily, then we basically unleash an army of bacteria to go after them. And this would be basically naturally present bacteria. Like, hey, if you were to dump the sewage in a river, this would be the same bacteria that would start to break down the organic material because to them it's food. What we do is we train them in a wastewater treatment plant to become this uh, very efficient team of soldiers to break down the organic matter and basically recycle the carbon. And, and we give them everything they want. You know, we give them lots of oxygen, so they're very happy. And they can very quickly, within a span of a few hours, make the wastewater clean. All right. But, but that's one of the, um, one of the hooks is that in order to make the bacteria happy, we have to give them oxygen because they're mm-hmm. aerobic bacteria. So a typical wastewater treatment plant spends most of its energy on just aerating the wastewater. Oh, wow. It, it's a significant energy input. Also, at the end, the bacteria will get fat and we have to figure out what to do with all that biomass that's generated. After the bacteria, you know, we have some more settling steps. We add some more chemicals. Sometimes we chlorinate it. Sometimes we use uh, ultraviolet uh, light or you, we, we use ozone, uh, peroxide, membrane filtration, depending on the wastewater. 
but we can basically take it all the way from wastewater to drinking water. I mean, the technologies are there. This is what uh, astronauts on the International Space Station are doing. Mm-hmm. They're drinking their own pee, and mm-hmm. they've been doing this for a good few years now. Uh, and I think they're still alive, so <laughs> it, it's fine. You can do it. You know. On the subject of organisms to clean things up. How do you design algae to be as good or efficient as possible in cleaning water? And I'm wondering whether this is a, a prod to GMOs. Well, we usually like to go with what nature has to offer, and we bioprospect, right? Uh, usually you can find uh, niches in the environment where something has grown naturally. It can do its job very well. So, like, if we're looking for something that can break down a certain contaminant, some uh, pollution we have released in the environment, you go to that hazardous waste site for example and you can find some organism that has learned how to make a living in that very extreme environment extremophiles so you know microbes are survivors they'll figure out a way to survive where others can't and make a living there so what we like to do is basically bioprospect if i find naturally present microorganisms that can do the job very well and then we use them and sometimes we will uh, do bio augmentation to a system so we would like to look, look at a wastewater bioreactor as an ecosystem. And what we do is we apply selection pressure on this ecosystem so that the right microbes are grown and the wrong microbes are outcompeted by the right microbes. And if they need some help, we'll bioaugment it with some other microbes. Now, back to the algae. Um, right now, uh, there are some species that can make a lot of lipids. For example, uh, Butchercoccus brownie can you know, have... 50-60% of his body weight as lipids and then you can basically convert the lipids to, to biodiesel so this sounds really good I mean it's like you know you, you can pick up the algae shake it and the oil droplets will fall out right and this is like the stuff dreams are made of but the problem is they grow really really slow um, so what you know scientists are working on is uh, how to make organisms like Borchococcus brownie grow faster so that you can, you're not just fat but you're also fast and this is where some you know genetically modification uh, will come in and Craig Venter is working on basically super algal strings. But those are some strategies, but we're not doing that. We're basically working with bioprospective organisms. Okay, so on this subject, we actually have one of our former guests with us, Stefan, who would like to know, bioprospecting sounds a bit like introducing an invasive species. How do you make sure that you're not going to create an algae that will cover the world? Well, first of all, we got that from somewhere natural. We did not make this in the lab. And two, usually they, they will get outcompeted when they're in the wrong uh, situation. So, for example, there's this algae company. They use their algae to make ethanol. I think their organisms are actually GMO. But they, for example, use a freshwater organism, but they, they have moats around it that are made of salt water. So if their organisms were to escape, they would fall into salt water and die. Okay. Yeah, so you can do <laughs> well, that. Well, that sounds like fairly that. easy to control. So I think this is either Rod or Monica would like to know what's the most common cause for contamination of drinking water or water lines due to wastewater? Okay, so if you think about it, right, the water coming out of a drinking water plant is super pure mm-hmm. and it's good to drink. But the problem is we have to put this in a pipe under the ground and transport it over many, many miles to get to people's homes. And during that time, for example, in Florida, it would be exposed to maybe warm conditions. So microbial regrowth within the water distribution pipe is actually a bigger threat. The water we send to homes are not sterile. They're just basically, they're disinfected, but they're not sterile. So fighting microbial regrowth, uh, one of the ways we do that is to chlorinate the water um, so that there's enough chlorine residual within the distribution system so that by the time you drink it at home, it's safe. 
So I think the issues really come from that. And also we found that, you know, in the 70s, we figured out that chlorine is great. Chlorine kills, uh, you know, it's broad spectrum biocide, kills everything. But if you were to combine chlorine with organic material that you might have left in the drinking water, let's say, let's say if you got water from a river, right? And, and like, the, like Tampa's Hillsborough River, it's got some color in it from human materials, from plants. And you were to chlorinate that water, you will form what's called disinfection byproducts. Mm-hmm. You know, these are low molecular weight carbon compounds with chlorine attached that are potentially carcinogenic. So what we have to do is basically now figure out how to make the water safe without creating cancer in their water. Right. So fortunately, the EPA regulates this this particular topic to death. Mm-hmm. So water um, that goes to your house has to meet both uh, bacteriological standards, but also meet carcinogenic standards as well. Going back to the, the subject of your toilet design, do you find that people are reluctant to change the design of their toilets? Well, this, you know, uh, cultural uh, aspect is, is hugely important, right? So what we're not working on uh, ourselves is this user interface okay. uh, portion. We're working further downstream, if you will, mm-hmm. uh, on, on the waste recycling portion. Okay. Uh, and we're working with a partner in India that's actually uh, been spending years studying the user interface. So um, if I can talk about the problem in India, let's say you have public toilets, right? Um, and the government wants to put in public toilets for the people and say, hey, we put the toilets in, why don't you use them? Oh, well, um, because you didn't think about maintenance. So very quickly, the toilets got dirty and smelly and... People don't want to use them. So sometimes um, people are f- forced to do what's called open defecation. It, it, it's, it's that you, you go where you can, right? And so over a billion people in the world do open defecation. And you can see that's basically, it, it has many, many problems associated with that from environmental contamination, health consequences, to basically just this indignity of having to do your business out in the open, right? So how do you get people to use their toilets? Well, first of all, you got to make the toilets pleasurable, fun, cling to use. <laughs> I mean, just it's, it's almost like a basic human right. So the company that we're working with in India is called Eram Scientific. They figure out how to do that. You know, this is a, a bunch of IT guys. They got together and said, well, we know IT, so what can we do to apply technology to a toilet? Well, why don't we automate the, the thing? What, uh, if cleaning is a problem, why don't we automate the cleaning? Uh, you mentioned, you know, sort of, um, there are different styles of toilets. So the toilets in India are squat toilets, Typically, uh, not sit down, and uh, and also is water-based cleaning. You know, so typically people wouldn't use toilet paper; they they use water for cleaning. So that creates a actually a very good platform for the toilet. Uh, so what they have is sort of this toilet kiosk, it looks like a phone booth, and um, and it, and everything gets cleaned automatically. So this company Iram has sold hundreds of these toilets across India. They're doing really really well. Uh, you go into the toilet, it'll even play, you know, popular music. <laughs> and it'll have, you know, uh, instructions on how to use the toilet. So what we're doing with our system, which is called the new generator, uh, nutrients, energy, and water uh, recycling generator, is to couple with one of these e-toilets, electronic toilets, and recycle the water so that we can now create a self-sustaining, uh, off-the-grid platform. You know, you don't have to have a sewer nearby. You don't even have to have electrical water connections nearby. And that, you know, everything will get recycled. So we can hopefully bring uh, sanitation provisions to more people where they're needed. That's very clever. Being scientists, Jill would like to know your preferred nomenclature. Do you switch it up? Do you use poop or number two? Well, we like to say we're number one in number two business. <laughs> um, 
No, we we use all of those terms. I mean, you know, we go we say uh, number two poop, uh, poo excreta feces. The whole I mean, shebang, basically. Ev- everything. Yeah, it depends on who you're talking to. So, on that note, we'd like to say thank you very much for coming out again this evening. Thank you. It was a pleasure, and I hope um, you know this podcast has made people kind of think a little bit differently about how water comes to our homes and where it goes. And the fact that, you know, many of the things that we take for granted are really not available uh, in other parts of the world. Absolutely. Okay. And if you'd like to follow Daniel on Twitter, his handle is? It's at uh, D-H-Y-E-H. Thank you very much again. Thank you. Bear and rabbit are in the woods, and uh, you know, and they're doing their business. Well, okay, no. Bear and rabbit are are in the woods, and the bear turns and turns to the rabbit and says, "Hey, rabbit, do you have a problem with pooping stuck to your fur?" And rabbit says, "No. Why do you ask?" So the bear picks up rabbit, and <laughs> I, I wasn't gonna go there. But... been listening to a two scientists podcast now if you'd like to keep up with our new releases you can follow us on twitter at two scis facebook or google plus using the handle two scientists or for the more old school among you you can check out our website at two scientists.org thanks for tuning in